gun. I, I can't focus unless the gun is on the table. Nothing is normal or natural or everything is game. I'm going to start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for freaking fire miles. We have to get out of this building. They made soup out of my research department. See, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. Put on your snorkels. It's another episode of Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predators, the only podcast that I'm aware of about Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Paul W.S. Anderson. My name is Eric Anderson. And my name is Jeremy Anderson. Thanks a lot, Eric, for not picking me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, I almost called myself Jeremy Anderson. That would have really thrown things off. Yeah, my name on Twitter now is Jeremy Schmidt Anderson, so... Oh, great. Is that legal now, too? Is that legally binding? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is legally binding. It legally means you're related to one of them. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Well, my name is Eric Anderson. Well, that's already a fake. Okay. Well, <laughs> never mind. Wow. Uh, let's see here. We're talking... We're back to Wes Anderson, Jeremy, and, you know, as exciting as it is... To be talking about the life aquatic, I am just so glad that we have, uh, you know, two more weeks until we have to watch another Paul W. S. Anderson movie. I am too. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait for. I mean, this was a this was episode was a long time coming. I was super excited to cover this film, and then next week I'm so excited to cover that film, and then the week after I couldn't be dreading more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we're talking Life Aquatic. Uh, If you're new to the pod, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, I think. We're talking Wes Anderson today. Uh, We kind of go back and forth between the three directors. Uh, So what is Life Aquatic? I guess it's the fourth installment of the Wes Anderson filmography. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one uh, where we, we have Owen Wilson, but he is not... Uh, a writer, in fact, uh, it's co-written by Noah Baumbach and Wes right. Anderson. Which is why there's so many uh, scenes of ex- intense emotional anguish uh, mm. dealing with divorce. <laughs> oh, is that a Noah Baumbach theme that he, uh, that he does a lot? He made Marriage Story. I don't know if you ever saw Marriage gotcha. Story. but I, I didn't. Okay. I, I got to be honest. I like. I went through a brief period in in college where I. Uh, what did I watch? I watched. He did Francis Ha. Right. Oh yes, I love it. That's I love that movie. Um, and you know, I think I watched uh, the Squid and the Whale. Oh, great! And maybe maybe Greenberg, and I was like, this guy's great. I'll watch anything that he does, and I haven't watched anything since. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not to say I don't like uh, Noah Baumbach. It's just kind of a. Uh, I don't know. It's like, you know, you get into a band or a director and then you kind of forget about it. Totally. uh, Yeah. So, Jeremy, Hmm. what's your history with Life Aquatic? I know you've seen every Wes Anderson film at this point. Yeah. You know, this is a very special Wes Anderson movie for me because this is the first one I ever saw in theaters. This was uh, following my obsession, like following my my, love affair with the Tenenbaums movie, in Rushmore and Blood and Blood Rocket, <laughs> and I, uh, and then I, you know, it was 2004. I was in high school. I remember this movie was coming out. I, I, I 
uh, told my my girlfriend at the time, please let's go see it. And uh, we went to go see it, and she hated it, <laughs> and mm. I didn't feel good about it either. And then we couldn't stop quoting it on the way home. So that's the kind of movie I feel like Wes Anderson <laughs> makes. It's like one of these where, like, especially this movie, I feel like upon first viewing, you're kind of like, man, f- this movie. And then, like, afterwards, you're like, can't stop quoting it. I'm sick of these dolphins. <laughs> 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 like, uh, I don't know. It, to me, it. To me, it was. Uh, it's also one that I've seen multiple times. Like, I guess like Darjeeling, which will be in a few weeks. Like, I actually haven't uh-huh. seen multiple times. And then there's a bunch of them I've only seen once. Like Fox, I've only seen once. Um, you know, Grand Budapest only one time. But this one I've seen multiple times, and it gets better every time. You notice little new things every time. I don't know, Eric. What do you? What was your history with uh, Life Aquatic? I can't even remember the first time I saw Life Aquatic, but it was certainly after. Um, it was certainly after. Uh, what's the one that we just watched? Ten and Bombs. I think maybe this what might have been what I watched after Ten and Bombs. I remember my first takeaway. So I must have been in in high school because I started playing like acoustic guitar when I was fifteen or sixteen, and. My big takeaway from this movie was like, ooh, I love those uh, David Bowie covers. And I didn't even know that some of them were David Bowie covers. And I had actually, the first time I heard Ziggy Stardust, uh, Hmm. the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust, I was like, wait a minute. David Bowie ripped these off from a... rip these off from a Wes Anderson movie? No, I didn't I didn't really think that, but I did realize that uh those were covers then and then I kind of realized, oh, these are all David Bowie songs and it's great. But uh I do remember that um you know, I loved Groundhog Day uh when I was younger yes. and I think this movie was like a little too mature for me or something when I when I had seen it for the first time. I think I wasn't ready for Bill Murray's very funny in it, but I don't think I was ready for some of these some of these th- kind of deep themes that we get in this movie. Yeah, I would also argue that the um, the humor itself in it is pretty mature. Like it's pretty dry. Mm. It's 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 particularly dry for a Wes Anderson film, and I don't want to say like less accessible because it's it's hard to imagine a Wes Anderson film in twenty twenty as not being accessible, but. It definitely, like, for as cartoony as the visuals are, it doesn't, like, I don't know. It's not very welcoming to, like, like children, like you've said. Like, when I was, again, I saw this when I was, like, 17 years old. And I, I did leave the theater, like, not, I don't think I laughed out loud maybe one time in the theater. And, uh, you know, like I said, I quoted it on the way home with my girlfriend. And we started laughing then. But it would be kind of a, f- a couple of years before I really, I think, got it. And... That's because, you know, when you're young like that, your palate isn't particularly sharp. Like, you're not really ready for, like you said, adult themes, but also just adult, like, sense of humors. Like, there's so many great jokes in this. Like, I'm looking at the the quotes, the huge list of quotes here, and it's just like every quote is so good, but it's kind of hard to explain why certain things are so good. Like, when he's talking about the ship or... uh, um, uh, he goes, Steve Zissou at one point says, Wolodarski, go get the keys to the fishing boat, then throw them in the water. No, wait, they might have another set. Just blow it up. 
<laughs> like <laughs> it's just like yeah. what's so f- it's like it's hard to explain why that's just so funny but it is and i could i could explain it but i don't i don't want to because it's it's right. almost like you either get it or you don't kind of a thing yeah, there is. I, I at this point, as we're kind of watching these sequentially, there's like certain, um, there is like a certain rhythm to Wes Anderson movies and like the dialogue and stuff that seems familiar. Like some of the dialogue, this movie actually more than any of the others so far reminded me of Bottle Rocket. Oh, cool! Be, which is kind of weird because Owen Wilson didn't write this, but he, you know, he was obviously very involved. Uh, in the cast. Yeah, I, w- um, I want to hear more wh- uh, how it reminded you of Bottle Rocket while, when we're getting into it. Sure. Um, yeah, so uh, let's see here. Life Aquatic came out in 04. Mm-hmm. Uh, crazy cast. We got Owen Wilson, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Michael Gambon, Jeff Goldblum, Angelica Houston, Bud Court. Uh, what do you think of this cast, Jeremy? It's pretty, it's pretty great, right? <laughs> yeah. I also did you not mention Bill Murray on purpose? <laughs> That's really. Oh, funny. did I not? Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. Oh, he's mentioned a, a little bit above. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, this cast is it's an all star cast. We see the we see the beginnings of him starting to use Jeff Goldblum and Willem Dafoe in his cast. Like I, they will end up becoming mainstays of the cast. Um, mm-hmm. I think so. Did I'm trying to think? Did Kate Blanchett? Is she in another Anderson movie? I'm trying to think um, if like she if she is, it would be one of these ones I've only seen once, I think. Like is she in the hotel uh the Grand Budapest? I don't think so, but I feel like this was around a time where it was just like in cinema just like Blanchett fever. Like, I feel yeah. like she had, like, a period. Like, she's always been good, but there was, like, a period where it was, like, she was huge. Right. Right. What's, and I what, feel like it was around this time. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, this is the only... Yeah, I just looked at her through our IMDb. This is the only Wes Anderson movie she did, which is pretty wild because she's uh so good in this and also, so, like so tailored to this kind of a film like she's i I feel like she could easily fit in with the anderson cast forever but yeah she's she's only used once she's very good sue george is like one of the big breakouts of this film unfortunately like i don't think his career but he's a musician so i guess maybe his career has actually been really good since this but i don't know uh I don't know what else, like, I haven't really followed it since. But, yeah, he's also in City of God, Sue George. Um, and he's the guy with the guitar who's doing all of the mm. David Bowie covers. Um, speaking of Blanchett, she, according to IMDb Trivia, she never rehearsed with the crew and had not met even most of them before filming the, the nighttime electric jellyfish scene in which mm. she first appears in the movie to add spontaneity. I kind of like that. Oh, they did that on purpose. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I would also say this is the this is the first and only Wes Anderson film that is starring Bill Murray as like the main character. It so it kind of feels really special mm-hmm. in that way cuz Bill Murray is in every Wes Anderson movie 
but he is never the main character. Um, the closest right. he gets is in Rushmore, where he's like the mm-hmm. second tier lead. He's like almost the lead, but he's like, but you know, Schwartzman is. Um, and in the rest of the films, he's always just a side character, like, and and sometimes a very minor side character. Like we'll see in Darjeeling Limited, he doesn't even have a speaking part. He's just a guy who runs down the street, and um, yeah, and in like, I think in uh, what's it called the. I was the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, very short, very short, brief role in that. So I do, I do think that this is very special in that way because they they love each other, Anderson and and Bill Murray. But this is this is the one that Anderson decided. I think Bill Murray should be at the helm of this. Um, you know, I'm looking at Noah Baumbach's filmography, and he's got. Uh 2004, The Life Aquatic comes out. 2005, The Squid and the Whale. I'm wondering, does this guy work in film or is he an oceanographer? <laughs> yeah, is he a is he a deep sea diver? This this Noah Bombach. <laughs> um, um, yeah, nope. So, uh, I I uh, I I need to get back into Noah Bombach. I think and and watch a lot yeah. more of his stuff. Uh, this isn't the only film he'll end up writing with Wes Anderson. He'll he writes a couple with him and. Uh, it's interesting, like Eric, like you've tended to, you've kind of been able to tell when certain other like, uh, writers jump on the team with Anderson Mm -hmm. and you seem to be able to tell like different tonal shifts with that. I can't ever tell when like a different writer is on a Anderson project. It always just feels the same. Like the tone always just feels the same. So if ever you see like specifics where you're like, I think that's a, a Bombach pointed out. Yeah. I think like the template for that is, um, what's it called? Uh, he wrote, uh, 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 Oh, you, you know, I was going to say, I think I was going to say like the basis for that was moonrise kingdom to me is like, that's a Wes Anderson story, but I guess he did co-write that with Roman Coppola. Oh yeah. So, mm-hmm. Roman Coppola. Um, yeah, so, uh, a little bit about the inspiration, uh, was inspired by The Great Gatsby and the Magnificent Ambersons, and the plot has been compared to Moby Dick. You ever, you ever finish, uh, you ever read M.D., Jeremy? Ah, no. It's Moby Dick. No, I've never read it, never wanted to read it. It seemed (laughs) very long and kind of dense. Yeah, it's a pretty big book. But it's pretty good. Cool. Um, there is like a very long section where you learn a lot about uh, things that you don't like necessarily think that you care about at the moment. But it, that 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 is like the moment that like everyone stops reading Moby Dick if they do give up on it. But if you push through, it's uh, it's pretty good. Re- it's pretty good read. Um, so let's see here. We talked about the old. Uh, like the, uh, the soundtrack, we have Mark Mothersbaugh doing some of the composition, aside from the Sue George, David Bowie songs. Um, yeah, Mark Mothersbaugh does all that really cool, like, lo-fi stuff that you hear in, like, the the music and the helmets and, <laughs> and whatnot. Yes, there's a moment that I was... Li- that Okay, so there's a moment in the film, I can't remember, uh, it's, it's when... Um, 
what's his name? Uh, is is dancing around. Bill Murray mm-hmm. is kind of like doing a silly dance to like a lo-fi little like drum beat mm-hmm. kind of like beat boop beat boop kind of thing. Right. And that when I was watching that, I was like, this is 2004. I feel like that moment like pioneered like a specific type of joke in movies <laughs> like i'm thinking of like napoleon dynamite and some like lonely island stuff do you know what i'm talking about like it's yeah. like the first instance of like corny electronic music being played over someone kind of like doing a silly dance or whatever totally yeah um, like the joke is yeah. like that it's super underwhelming when you finally yeah. hear it <laughs> yeah 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 um Yes, yeah, so into a little bit of the uh, trivia here. Bill Murray became a certified diver, logged over 40 hours during the film. Uh, let's see here. The character of Steve Zissou was written with Bill Murray in mind, and according to uh, Wes Anderson, it could have been no one else. <coughs> um that would be so awesome uh, as a filmmaker to just have to just be like, well, I know I can get Bill Murray, and you can just like write a character for Bill Murray. That would be insane. Yeah, I mean, especially when it ends up like this too. Like, it's so it's it's he's in such a good position. I feel like at this. I mean, obviously he's Wes Anderson. He's like the biggest dude ever. But it's. Um, you know, once upon a time he wasn't and his films weren't necessarily like killing it either at the box office or critically. Like I feel like he got some like early success from industry people, but like, I don't know if Tenenbaums and Rushmore really like won critics over. And this film did definitely did not. (laughs) No, it it was, it did not do well at the box office either. Right. It didn't do well at the box office and it didn't do well, uh, with critics really. I mean, uh, Anthony Lane, a film reviewer for the New Yorker, agreed with the conventional criticism of Anderson's deadpan style that the underreaction of Anderson's characters used used to be hip, but has now become frozen into a mannerism. He said that some stretches of action in the film are being lightly held with quotation marks, with an unmistakable air of play acting, and even the most violent scenes. He also criticized the film's deliberately weird setups, which leave the viewer with the impression of having nearly drowned in some secret melancholy game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wes Anderson claimed to be going through an Italian phase during the making of the movie, uh, which is one of the reasons why it was shot in Rome and Sinecita... Cinecita Studios. Jeremy, you ever go through an Italian phase? Uh, no, I, I guess so. Yeah, I, I watched a bunch of those. Um, what do you call it? Those Fellinis. Okay. You ever get? You ever watch a Fellini? No, I have. I don't think I have. Are you talking about Italian food or movies? I just any phase. Did you ever like curl your mustache up uh, and a start smoking bit? cigarettes? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I did watch some italian movies some uh, at some point but i mean i'm always down for a pizza pasta so yeah any any kind of pizza and pasta combination is good with me uh so i don't know uh do you have any other sort of uh tids or bits about uh the life aquatic before we dive into the plot did you mention that this was his biggest budgeted movie no but it was 50 million right yeah and it uh failed Obviously, it yeah. earned back thirty-four million. Bummer. 
Um, yeah, this is very much uh, based on to uh, based on the Jacques Cousteau, uh, who's a real person and yes. had a bunch of books and stuff. Did you already mention all that stuff? No, I think yeah, but yeah. And he was, Jacques Cousteau is also mentioned in the Tenenbaums movie as uh, part of the story, part of part of one of like Richie or one of those kids is really into Jacques Cousteau growing up. Um, the character of Waladarsky is named after the co-writer and director Wes Anderson's close friend Wally Waladarsky, who was the writer on The Simpsons. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, had no idea. And that's about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. While oceanographer Steve Zissou is working on his latest documentary at sea, his best friend and chief diver Esteban Duplantier, Duplantier is eaten by a 10-meter-long, luminescently spotted creature Zissou describes as a jaguar shark. Uh, fictional marine animals like the crayon ponyfish and sugar crab also appear as props throughout the film. For his next project, Zissou is determined to document the shark's destruction. So we basically start with sort of the, uh, I guess, premiere of his of his film, right? Mm-hmm. With the the one where the guy gets eaten by the the shark. Right. Yeah, and it's uh, we see the film, and it's. <laughs> already in typical Wes Anderson fashion it's like the stu- it's like it's like both like it's not played for laughs in the logic of the film but it's like this it's one of the stupidest things ever where like he's 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 come to the surface there's blood in the water and he's explaining to Willem Dafoe's character like what happened and he keeps saying Esteban was eaten and then Willem Dafoe keeps ha- asking clarifying questions like is he dead and then Bill Murray's like <laughs> freaking out, like, yes, he was eaten. And then he goes, swallowed whole? And he goes, no, chewed. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like the like the weird, <laughs> like the weird kind of stilted Anderson styles and full effect here. It's like, it's like right off the bat. And right off the bat, you can tell like Willem Dafoe is perfect in this universe. Like he's, he fits right in. He's so good right away. This is one of my favorite Defoe performances. Same, uh, same. Of all time. It's for sure. it's it's such a it's such a weird character too. Like it's such an interesting and weird character. He's like kind of his right hand man, but also not really. And he's he's like, what is he French? Is that is he playing like a Frenchman? I think, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a really interesting role that I I really like, and he really shines in in this role. But yeah. I think what did we uh, was it Rushmore when we started to see like a little hint of like Wes Anderson being interested in like the ocean? Oh was there, wasn't yeah, there something in you Rushmore? know what? Uh, Jacques Cousteau oh, is from Rushmore. Book. You're right. Like that's when we first hear Jacques Cousteau's name in an Anderson movie. It's in Rushmore. It's the book that he's checking yes. out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. This you. movie seems like. Um, like a lot of these, like a lot of these shots, there's so many cool shots. Mm-hmm. I, I think I like this movie aesthetically more than anything else. I just like to look at it. Uh, yeah. like I could watch this entire movie on mute and mm-hmm. enjoy myself, I think. But, um, the costume in particular is 
pretty beautiful like just like the light blue sort of pastels and then those dark reds and like it just like the whole the sets just look good yeah this movie has a vibe to me of like a lot of ideas in here that wes anderson has been like thinking about for a long time and he can finally like do them all in one project you know like it seems like he had this like interest in doing a uh an aquatic movie mm-hmm. and had all these shots in mind and stuff but um yeah so the crew aboard zisu's aging research vessel belafonte includes his estranged wife eleanor uh chief strategist and financial backer pele dos santos a safety expert and brazilian guitarist who sings david bowie songs in portuguese and Klaus Daimler, the German first mate who views Zisu and Esteban as father figures. Which it's so funny because they they look like they're the same age. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, minor crew members include Vikram Ray, cameraman, Bobby Ogata, frogman, uh, Vladimir Wolodarsky, psych, uh, physicist and soundtrack composer, uh, Renzo Pietro, sound man, and Anne Ma- Marie Sakowitz, a script girl who is often seen topless. <laughs> uh, also included in a recent group of unpaid is a recent group of unpaid interns from the University of North Alaska. I didn't realize they were from Alaska. That's I funny. didn't either. Um, That's really funny. However, the team Zisu uh, venture has hit a decline. They have not released a successful documentary in nine years. Uh, yeah, so I guess what I'm trying to figure out like what point we're at. Uh, yeah, the, the way that this Wikipedia, Wikipedia is written is, is like not weird. in order in any kind of order. Although, I will say, like, so we meet Ned pretty early on, right? He's at the screening, yes, I think. yes, yeah. So then maybe that maybe maybe we're picking up with the story here. Ned Plimpton, a longtime Zisu fan whose mother recently died, and he believes that Zisu is his father. After they meet at Zisu's latest premiere, Ned takes annual leave from his job as an airline pilot in Kentucky to join his crew. (laughs) Yeah, so this whole thing about, like, how (laughs) he may or may not be his son is also very funny to me, like, or just strange. Like, like he refuses to obviously get a test (laughs) to just know, right? Yeah. I yeah, I don't know exactly what the deal is with that. Wait, he are we supposed to believe that he is his son? I I think so. I think he is his son and I guess it yeah. I guess maybe one of the points that they're ma- they're making is like it kind of doesn't matter like yeah. that fatherhood is just something you have to accept. It's not something that it doesn't matter if it's genetically true or not. It's just <laughs> It's like something you had an idea that you have to be okay with, which he never really is. He makes him call he he makes Owen Wilson call him Steve Z, which is the, <laughs> such a funny weird thing to do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I lo- I this is one of my favorite uh, Owen Wilson performances though too. I love oh really. This. I love this performance. I, yeah. I always felt like Owen Wilson, I liked his accent, but I never really got what he was doing, like what the character was going for, other than just kind of being, you know, like a wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, sort of down-for-anything kind of guy. 
Yeah, I could see I could see that a little bit too. I yeah, I don't know. I guess uh yeah, I don't know. I I, I I'm a fan though. Uh Yeah. Yeah, so uh let's see here. After they meet at Zisu's last premiere, Ned takes annual leave from his job. Uh you talked about this as Osiri Draculius, Zisu's producer, cannot find anyone to finance their latest documentary. Ned offers his inheritance. Oh my god. Yeah, really, you know, you it's like you love Steve Zisu, but also, you know, he's like uh he's like one of these Gene Hackman characters from Anderson's repertoire where he's very like you know, he'll he'll just take money from people. Like he'll he'll just like whatever it, he needs to to get. He's very selfish and self-centered. Yeah. Um Eleanor Eleanor feels uh her husband is taking advantage of Ned uh and leaves. Uh big fan of Angelica Houston, by the way. Oh yeah. She's she's good. great, yeah. And her thing with Jeff Goldblum is great too. Um, a pregnant reporter, Jane Winslet Richardson, comes to chronicle the voyage. Both Ned and Zisu are attracted to Jane, and a competition develops between them. Klaus becomes jealous of the attention Zisu pays to Ned. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, that's the chain of jealousy, right? Klaus is jealous of <laughs> Ned, and and Zisu is jealous of Ned also. Right, because of like yep. Ned gets all this attention from Jane. Um, Jane also being that Jane is also pregnant is like you you just don't see a lot of pregnant characters in stuff like you and and when you do they're they're kind of they stick in your mind like obviously Fargo is the the only, maybe the only example I can think of of like a pregnant character in a movie. Where where the movie isn't about pregnancy, you know? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, because they don't really, like, it's mentioned a few times, but it's not really, like, a plot point or anything. Right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I was reading uh, in the trivia that she, that Kate Blanchett was pregnant at the time. Oh, cool. Um, and Wes Anderson joked that she was, like, didn't have to go that meta or something. Oh, wow into a role but uh yeah i don't know um i wonder i wonder if that was planned or if it just happened I, um, either way i mean it. that's cool can you imagine being the baby if you were like her son and then you know forever you got to see your mom pregnant with you in a movie yeah do you think that baby gets residuals i think so i think that's how that works uh actually no i don't think the baby gets residuals because <laughs> i don't think that the baby is a life yet <laughs> until it's born <laughs> all right oh you're one of those guys yeah i'm pro i'm pro choice over here oh wait yeah i am too <laughs> i forgot which one's which <laughs> yeah uh let's see here uh, on their mission to find the jaguar shark, the Belafonte steals tracking equipment from a remote station owned by Alistair Hennessy, a more successful oceanographer and <laughs> Zisu's nemesis. This, I mean, I you know I'm talking about my favorite performances from actors. I I you know I this is like tied for me with Jurassic Park for gold. Oh yeah, top dude. gold bloom performance. This is so funny to me. Yeah, he's uh, and as, as, this is my favorite. Uh, of him comedically, I think I do yeah. like Jurassic Park and I do like The Fly a lot too. They're not really comedic performances necessarily, or 
straight away comedic for but this is i don't know i just i just yeah i just i I really like his his uh his performance in this and like and like they're back they're specifically they're back and forth like between jeff goldblum and um and bill murray i think it's just it's just really really works him wearing that i'm a pepper shirt also is just like perfect yes yes um yeah i this is a great character this would be a character that would be like a fun halloween costume too yeah for sure yeah with like the uh, the arm sling or whatever and the i'm a pepper <laughs> shirt yeah yeah uh let's see here they all they then sail into unprotected waters and are attacked by filipino pirates who steal ned's money and kidnap bill ubel a bond company stooge assigned to the project mm-hmm. i I uh, was trying to figure out that who that actress is who is like just completely annoyed and furious at Steve Zissou. Do you know who mm-hmm. I'm talking about? She's like, uh, yeah, she's well, a, she's the script girl, right? The script girl, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Who is? She's it? very funny. I don't know. I was trying to figure it out, but uh, I don't know if I. Yeah, there's there's so many of the crew that I've maybe only ever seen once in something else. You know what I mean? Like where it's like I've I couldn't really place where i know robin him? robin cohen um robin cohen i don't cohen. Rec- yeah, i don't recognize anything else she's in but she was really funny in this big fan yeah uh, you know uh bud court is the bond company stooge uh who is uh harold from harold and coom uh not harold and coom sorry harold and mod <laughs> um great you know, I've still you, never seen Harold. You've and never Mod, seen. Oh, way. yeah, I was gonna say you. would probably be more excited about that if you'd seen I know, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, should I at this point watch Harold and Mod? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's it's see. it's it's basically like a Wes Anderson movie before Wes Anderson was a a, a thing. Like mm. uh, Hal Ashby, the director, was made. It was sort of doing Wes Anderson stuff in the seventies. With like visually yeah. and comedically, I think. Uh, they are then rescued by Hennessy and toward uh, and towed to Port au Patois. Sakowitz, along with all but one of the interns, jumps ship once they reach port. Um, Zisu convinces Eleanor to rejoin Belafonte, and then leads the crew on a rescue mission. They track Bill to an abandoned hotel on a remote island, saving him along with Hennessy, whom the pirates have also kidnapped. Uh, Ned and Zissou then make one last search for the shark in the ship's helicopter, but the aircraft malfunctions and they crash. Ned dies from his injuries and is buried at sea. Yeah, what do we think of this? Um... I so for me I had to like go back and uh I remember that Ned dies mm-hmm. but I had to like go back and look at the moment and see you don't really like see him die you know what I mean mm-hmm. like it, I was almost, like it kind of just goes from they're in the water and then Bill Murray's pulling Owen Wilson up onto the shore or whatever. Yeah, and he's uh, really he's struggling to f- yeah, to find abrupt. someone to help. Yeah, and it's playing they're playing that zombies song. Which is mm. pretty iconic. It, it's sort of like oh. this movie's Elliot Smith moment, 
where it's yeah. like, could I try to hide the way oh, I yeah. feel inside? Yeah, where it's just acapella. Uh, it's I, I I always found this moment to be incredibly dark, like an incredibly dark change from the rest of the film. Like the rest of the film is sort of like a cartoon and you don't really think anyone can die, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like it's been so silly up until now. And then when Ned dies, it's like it's like really sad. Yeah, it is. It is yeah. Um so yeah, prior to Ned's death, uh Eleanor revealed to Jane that Zisu is sterile, therefore Ned could not have been his son. Ugh. Oh, yeah, okay, that answers that question um zisu finally tracks down the shark in a submersible but is uh but he decides not to kill it both because of its beauty and not having any more dynamite (laughs) uh at the premiere of the finished documentary which is dedicated to ned zisu receives a long-standing ovation while waiting outside the theater for the premiere to finish the crew returns triumphantly to the ship the next day. Yeah, so like even more more with Ned's death and with Eleanor revealing to Jane that Zisu is sterile, like what do you think that's about? Like what 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 do you make of that? Cuz like clearly like Zisu knew he was sterile also. Well, I guess wait, Zisu knew himself that he is sterile. Yeah. I, Jane. I I I yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, I guess. How would he not? How would she know when he doesn't? Um, right. So then he knew the whole time that Ned wasn't his son. So why did he let him believe he was? Maybe he just always wanted a a kid or something. I don't know. Well, I, he didn't because think... he makes him call him Steve Z. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Hmm. Did he just want his money, you know? That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe that. Yeah. Maybe that's it. But do you think Owen Wilson, do you think Ned really thought Zisu was his dad? That's a great question. And I think that's sort of the saving question to the whole thing is did they just kind of want each other to be each other's, you know? Like, yeah, maybe they're both, they're pulling one over on each other. Right. Yeah. And in some ways that makes him more of his son than even a real son would be or something but it is like it is such a weird it's a weird concept to think about right it's like one of the deeper aspects thematically of the film that i never really noticed when until this viewing of like this is like really dark like this idea that zisu knows already that he's sterile but won't say and does Ned really not know? And then he dies. Like Ned dies because of Zisu's cause. For like for Zisu's cause. Like it's like really heavy. Also, we should talk yeah. about that shark moment. It's pretty good too. Um. Yeah, I guess that's my problem with the. It is good. That that's my problem with uh this movie. And I, you know, I don't know. Like this. I guess I like sort of even watching it now, I'm kind of like, it kind of goes over my head a little bit for the reasons that we've, we've talked about where I'm like, I don't really exactly know like what, uh, Wes Anderson was going for here. What him and Noah Baumbach were doing with the story. Like I, I actually like up to the point where Ned dies, 
I'm kind I'm pretty much fully on board with it. And I, you know, uh, I don't know. There's some, something happens like around that moment where I'm kind of like, what's happening here? Like, what are these two guys? What's the, what is actually, it feels like there's something I, it feels like I'm supposed to be interpreting it in a certain way, but I'm like, I feel like I'm too dumb for it or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm missing something, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, I think I agree uh, with you. I think I agree. I don't. I don't really get every part of it, and, and maybe I will event. Maybe I will someday. But it also could be true that maybe the film just sort of lacks clarity in some key ways. Yeah, that make it that would make it maybe better, or you know, I don't know. But uh, that last moment with the shark, though, really ties a nice bow to the whole thing when. He says, I wonder if he remembers me. It's just such a good line, mm. you yeah. know? And then, of course, they're playing Stigaros in the back, which is... Yes, I forgot about that. So yeah. good. Hippopola, uh, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, What, you, Jeremy, what are your final thoughts on uh, Life Aquatic? I love it. I love it. It's it's one of the all-time greats. It's one of the all-time great Bill Murray's. Um I feel like the it it all really works for me. There are some there are some things about it that make it a little confusing and a little like um, maybe I recoil at some parts of it a little bit, or I'm just not quite sure what to make of certain parts of it. But as a spectacle, I think the film really works, and like I don't know, it bought the it it bought it brought back like a whole look, you know, like that Adidas tracksuit. It, those adidas samba like the uh, style <laughs> um i i feel like uh this is yeah this is a this is a great film so i guess what i'm gonna give it is i'm gonna give it 3.5 chucky freckles 3.5 yeah yeah because rushmore got a a 3.75 and Bottle Rocket got a 3.5. And I think I like this about as much as bo a Bottle Rocket. I think so. Um, you know what? I'm actually yeah. going to go 3.25. All right. I'm going down to 2. Po I'm going down to 3.25. <laughs> it's it's so, it's as good as Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say historically, uh, looking back at your records, it's on par with uh, Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Um yeah. you know, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to agree with you, Jeremy. You know, the, I, I do like this movie, uh, better than Rushmore at this point. Um, and I do like this movie a lot, but it does like, and I actually didn't even really realize it until we started talking about it is I don't really know what this movie is about. Like, thematically. <laughs> yeah. Like right. I, I kind of, and you know, that's always a little bit frustrating. Uh, and with this coming from a guy whose favorite director is David Lynch, I guess. But, um, right. yeah, uh, I, I guess for me, like at this point in the Wes Anderson filmography, like some people will say as a criticism that some of his films are a little bit more style over substance. And, I don't like think that that's really about like I don't even think that that's really a criticism because I think it's like film and art is a you know subjective and uh, 
you know, whatever. There's people that love to just look at stuff and, you know, that don't need, uh, uh, don't care so much about story or, you know, people want different things for movies. But I do think that this movie kind of marks the transition here with like, no more Owen Wilson co-writing. We're kind of getting to this point for me where, if I remember correctly, a lot of the Wes Anderson films after this are kind of similar for me where they're like a very wonderful like visual spectacle and they can be pretty funny and witty, but they leave a little bit to be desired for me for the story. And this is like the first one of those that we've gotten for me. So, yeah, I'll give this a 3.25 out of 4 because I do think it is still hilarious. And, uh, yes, I love the costumes. I love the way it looks. Um, it's just a beautiful movie. The soundtrack's incredible. Uh, yeah. So, that is Life Aquatic. Jeremy, I'm freaking stoked for next week because oh, we're yeah. talking Punch Drunk, right? We're talking Punch Drunk Love. Uh, I've got my Criterion Collection Blu-ray ready to be watched. <laughs> Haven't watched it yet. I'm. I, I can't wait to do it. Um. Yeah. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a good one because this is. This film is marrying two things that we really love here on this podcast, and that is. Paul pianos? Thomas Anderson, yeah, pianos, <laughs> and Luis Guzman. No, it's it, it, it's uh, Adam Sandler and Paul Thomas Anderson working together. It's so crazy. Like, I mean, we'll talk about this so much more in the next episode. But Paul Thomas Anderson really did know the value of Adam Sandler yeah. early. Like he called it that Adam Sandler was just going to be a good guy who was going to be worth his worth his rocks. In acting chops, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm super stoked. I think I've I've mentioned on the show that going into this, Punch Drunk is my favorite PTA movie. Excited to see how it how it stands now because uh, I had a great time watching you know Magnolia and Boogie Nights. Yeah, boogie. Uh, but uh, yeah, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and then of course we'll be doing whatever West. Paul W. S. Anderson movie comes after <laughs> comes after yeah, that. Yeah, whichever. Which, one. by the way, Jeremy, we talked about the the next Wes Anderson uh, Paul W. S. Anderson movie technically is a TV movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said that we would cover it if it's available for free, and uh-huh. unfortunately, it is. <laughs> um, uh-huh. <laughs> Brian pointed out that it's actually a failed pilot. Whoa. So, do we cover failed pilots? No. Should we? Okay, let's skip it. We'll unless skip you, it. unless you want to. No, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm looking for a way out of it. Okay, great. Uh, so yeah. Uh, but anyway, Jeremy, any plugs before we sign off? Nope. Oh, I guess we have uh, Patreon.com/slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, we're doing at this point. We're still doing No Shave November. We did Castaway, Teen Wolf, uh, the Santa Claus. Uh, all beard movies. And, yeah, all good beard uh, We're doing movies. weekly bonus episodes over there, $5 a month. It's a great time. And Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. 